Well, Father Brett is uh, away on a much needed vacation, so I'm the substitute teacher <laughs> and, uh, for the day. It's good to, good, to be, good to be with you and uh, share. It's also, uh, I forgot to mention this at a, the nine, um, Father Jim and Joan Conley are celebrating 49 years of marriage. <laughs> Yeah. The bishop two weeks ago did 49. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. People ask me how, how to stay married that long. It says first is don't die. And uh, <laughs> the second is don't get a divorce. You know, <laughs> those are the two, two keys. And um, so, but it, Good to be with you, and um, you know, in, in this absolutely crazy time, never thought you'd you'd have to make reservations to go to church. You know, <laughs> I think you ought to have somebody at the door with like a tux on. You know, and you go table for two. You know, <laughs> but it'll soon end. It's just interesting. Yeah, I was saying at the nine. I'm I'm a person who uh, I like to obey rules. I really am. I, you know, I, I'm a rebel on some levels, but only when the rules are immoral or unjust. I don't break rules to just break rules. You know, but if there's something unlawful or unethical, I'm I'm first in line to uh, make sure that I won't obey that and or do everything I can do to get it get it overturned. So I've been trying to figure out. Uh, this mask and social distancing thing, because I, I want to be, I want to be. I have a mask, I have a scarf that I bought, so when I put it on, I look like a bandit, you know. It, it covers my neck, and I, I've been tempted to wear my bike helmet and I'll carry a backpack and look like an Antifa member, you know. <laughs> but that, that's the mask. Uh, I didn't bring it today because it, it's uncomfortable, but I do. I, you know, it's easy to slip on and slip off, you know, because you got you got to know know the rules. And and this virus is very smart. It's a really smart virus. So we went out to dinner, first time two weeks ago or three weeks ago. It was great, and they had indoor seating. You know, you know they've had outdoor, but I didn't like eating in the middle of Sunrise Highway. So. <laughs> So we went to, we actually had indoor at this really nice restaurant. And so it's the first time, and so it's so indoor scene, so I walk in, I didn't have my mask on. And uh, they said, you gotta wear your mask when you're standing up. I said, oh, okay, so I put on my bandit mask. And um, they took me to the seat and sat down and said, now you can take your mask off. So like, how does the virus know whether you're standing or sitting? <laughs> you know what I mean? And then I found out this morning, I think this is really great. You can sit at a bar without a mask, but you can't have just a drink. You have to order a meal. How does the virus know you're eating? <laughs> or not eating? Or groups of 10, you know, are okay, but 11, God forbid you're the 11th person. You know, you're doomed. So it's, 
So it's trying to like figure out how do you maneuver through this. And, and I have real trouble with the six feet thing because I'm not good at math. You know, and, and how far is, is six feet? So I figured out that, do you know what a noodle is? You know, there's like a swimming pool thing, it's just this noodle. They're three feet. So I'm gonna tape one together and stick it on the front of my head so I know how to stay six feet away. And I figure people will stay six feet away from me just because I'm wearing a noodle on my head. <laughs> you know? But anyway, if we're gonna get through this, I've been home and uh, I've done about, I've been binge watching television. You know, after I, I pray all morning, and then I have a, a, if you're interested, I do a Facebook reflection every day at 1.30. And you can go out there, it's on replay if you want to hear every single day going through Matthew's Gospel, so I get that done. And then there's um, the afternoon. <laughs> and uh, so I've been watching documentaries, which has been, been fun, but also just, there's really crappy stuff on television. <laughs> so we've gone back, and right now we're binge watching two shows. One is... Uh, some of you will remember St. Elsewhere, if you're old enough. And if you don't, go watch it. It's a really, really good, decent program. Um, and then the other one is Monk. And uh, you all know Monk? We're all going to turn into Monk. You know? I mean, people are getting so fearful. And if you find yourself counting fire hydrants, be careful. You know, you've crossed over. And, uh, but it'll end. It's all coming to an end, and, and we just have to do what we got to do, you know, joke about it, but it's a serious issue. And uh, particularly for those who are vulnerable and those who, uh, you know, have underlining immune disorders. Uh, that's why you're wearing a mask, by the way. You're not wearing a mask to protect yourself. That's absolutely no good. Uh, you protect other people from you. You know, that's why, that's why it's a good thing, good thing to do. Uh, Father, we just ask you to open our hearts and our minds to hear your word, for you speak and your servants are ready to listen. I'm not a person who saves things. Uh, by that I mean I don't save old clothes. Um, I don't save, if, if I haven't used it in a year or two years, in fact, I enjoy throwing things out. One of, one of the great days of my life was when we moved from Freeport to Long Beach and we rented a, a, a dumpster, and we packed it up to a, to a window in the second floor where my office was. And I, the, I filled that dumpster. It was so much fun just throwing things out, out the window. And, just, and we filled the dumpster with junk. Um, Kathy will tell you I threw all our shoes away, but that's not true. <laughs> But I'm that kind of person. If you have a box, for me, if you have a box in your basement you say that you haven't opened in two years or three years, throw it away. You don't know what's in it, right? So you'd have to open it up to find out what's in it. And what's in it, you've probably purchased another one because you thought you needed it. See, on that kind of mind, mindset, you know, I know there's people who are the other extreme who save everything. I had a, you know, there's a show called Hoarders. Have you ever watched that? And that's a sickness. Well, I got the sickness on the reverse side. Uh, Kathy has to stop me. In fact, yesterday she said at breakfast, she said, we have some boxes down in the basement that need to be moved. I said, well, I need to throw them away. She said, they're Christmas decorations. Uh, okay, those can stay. We'll probably use those again. But on the other side of it, 
I save things or I won't throw things away that are of value. That, that are, and that, by that I mean, uh, we have a chair that was given to me by my grandmother, was passed down to my mother, uh, that was my great, 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 great grandmother's chair. And it's a handmade chair from back at the Revolutionary War. And uh, I won't throw that away. You can't sit on it because it's too small and it's fragile, but it's of value. It's a treasure. It connects, it connects my family back to wherever. And we all have treasures like that. Uh, you know, I have a ring, uh, I'm not wearing it today, but I have a ring that was given to me by Bishop Frank Constantino. And that's a treasure, and I won't throw it away. I'll pass it on to somebody who will value that, you know, and who I know is not going to sell it or pawn it or, you know, they'll just keep it. Those things that they're important. And it's important to do that in those treasures uh, that we find, they're important to do that uh, in our families, to pass on who we are. There's something about that that gives us, gives us identity. And, uh, and there's things also of just of value <clears throat> that we shouldn't get rid of in history. History is important. Uh, it's important to connect back uh, either so we don't repeat it or that we learn the treasure that's in it. Uh, I love to go to Europe and visit old cathedrals. One of the reasons I like to go to Europe is because you usually have an old city, part of the wherever. If you go to uh, you know, Krakow, for example, there's an old city and there's a new city. And in the old city, there'll be buildings there that are like 1400s. And there's churches that were built in the Middle Ages that are still functioning. You know, there's still active places of worship. There's one in London, St. Paul's of London, says, <coughs> they have a sign as you enter, and it says, uh, and this is a paraphrase, a continuous prayer has been offered in this place for 900 years. Now think of that, three times a day, every day, prayer is offered in that place for 900 years. You know, we charismatics have a hard time sustaining prayer for a week, you know. You know but 900 years of just, sustain, just praying, and it does something, you know. It, it's, it connects from generation to generation. You know, my seminary that I went to, I appreciate it, was built in the 1800s. And, and uh, you got to, people kind of picked a seat. And you'd realize after a while that there was somebody who sat in that seat before you who prayed and went into the ministry. Somebody before you, before you, before you. And you weren't alone. You were connected to something, something bigger than yourself. And some of these things are treasures of, of great value. And it's really important, especially I think in this day and age of, uh, of technology, where things have just changed so rapidly. Uh, uh, young people don't understand actually how rapidly it's changed. The things that we take for granted today didn't exist when I was a kid. You know, it just weren't, weren't there and, and it's now the, the obvious. You know, like <laughs> I didn't have a remote 
you know, <laughs> to change the television. You know, that they didn't exist. You actually had to get up off your butt and turn the dial. You know, uh, you didn't have, we didn't have color TV. That's all I have. Uh, but there's things that, that just, they're gone their way. And it's happening faster and faster and faster. I watched a movie again called Wall Street. And they, uh, in, in the movie, they had the, the lead character, I forget his name, was on a cell phone. Oh, the cell phone was this big. You know, they used to call it the brick. And it had an antenna. And everybody thought, how? Only rich people can have those. Now you can go to Africa and people have smartphones on their, you know, uh, walking around. It's, it's that kind of technology and it's getting more and more, increasing more change. It's just happening so fast. I think it's really essential that we don't throw out old treasures. Not against the new. I'm, I'm a pretty innovative guy, uh, even, even at my age. I, I like the technology. Like I said, I'm out on Facebook with a, you know, broadcasting every day and looking how to expand that ministry. But it's also connecting to the, to the treasures. And so Jesus comes along and he's teaching on the kingdom of God. And he starts off by saying, saying there's these small things that are of great worth. God begins in every instance with something small. That's the, the way he works. From the very beginning, God doesn't begin big. Now, God could begin big, right? He could catch everybody's attention if he shut off the oxygen, you know, and, and spoke. We'd all listen. But he doesn't work that way. He begins small. And he works in the small beginnings with ordinary people. He begins with Moses, Abraham. You know, working through his plan and his purpose. And with these people, these, these what appears to be insignificant people, he creates something that changes the course of history. And we need to know about those people. See, those are treasures. That's our story. That's just, the Old Testament is our story. It's why we are who we are today is because of the words in the Old Testament, because of the prophets who spoke in ancient times. We don't throw that away, but we, we have failed to teach our children that. We have failed in passing that information on, and so they don't seem connected to anything. They're connected to celebrities. They're connected to whatever is swirling around at the given moment with no sense of history. Uh, even secular history. They don't understand who was where, and, and, and it's, it's scary to listen to college-educated people. And you ask some questions about history or about even sometimes current events, and they don't have any, any information. But they can tell you what rock stars wore at the last award ceremony. Because everything new, and there's nothing wrong with that new, but it's got to be connected to the old, and, and God works through, we find out if we go back and we look historically, God works through ordinary little things, small beginnings like seeds. And we, and we think, of, think of modern history. Don't even go back there. 
Think of Mother Teresa of Calcutta. A teacher, she was a teacher in Yugoslavia. Little unknown town. Became a religious teacher, and God called her to go to India. And she left everything, and she went to Calcutta, which is it's named after the god of death. And she took one person, one dying person on the street and began to minister to that person. And God created through Mother Teresa the fastest growing religious order in the world today. They actually turned people away from joining. And she ended up, God used her to speak to kings and rulers. She even yelled at the President of the United States. They came over, there's a picture of her with her finger pointing in his face. And she's only four foot 11. And she's yelling at him. She's, don't kill the baby, stop it. You know? And he said nothing in return. You know, probably scared the out of him. <laughs> you know? But you know, it's always that way. You know, if I were to ask historically, to see, ask people, who started the modern civil rights movement? in America. Most people would answer Martin Luther King. You know, because he's, but that's not true. The person who started the modern civil rights movement was Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks of, of stopped on the bus. She refused to give up her seat and that caught the attention of this young pastor in his 20s named Martin Luther King. And he went and started alongside her the Montgomery bus, bus boycott. And the civil rights movement blew off from there. See, God uses small people. We just, we just uh, yesterday, uh, John Lewis was buried. He's in fact, well, not buried. He had a memorial service in Selma, Alabama. And the reason was he was 21 years old. And he went to Selma, Alabama in 1965. And he led the first march, the Bloody Sunday March, along with Ralph Abernathy, over the Edmund Pettus Bridge. And yesterday, he had a memorial service and they took his casket and they marched it over the bridge. And people followed him again. And then they drove his hearse, they put it in a hearse and drove his casket to Montgomery, Alabama, where he's lying in state today. What's interesting about that story is the Edmund Pettus Bridge is named after the head of the Ku Klux Klan in Alabama. And yet, here was this man that broke the barriers for voting rights. At 20 years old, God used him. He had the courage. John Paul II, the young man grew up, I've been to his birthplace, so he would have been 100 years old today, or this year. Went to his birthplace, a little tiny town. It's like, you know, some of those towns up in the Adirondacks, you know, it's got one stop sign. And this little tiny house that he lived in, a little small church, and yet God spoke to him in the midst of uh, Nazi occupation and then communist occupation. And this man that God called was responsible for bringing down communism in Poland. You know, and then impacted men all across Europe where the Iron Curtain came down on the Berlin Wall. And he was behind it all. But that's true throughout history. St. Francis of Assisi, 
Oh, you know, Benedict. Trace of the little flowers. You could go, go on and on. Charles Simeon, who ended slavery in England. John Wesley, Martin Luther. Small beginnings with ordinary people who are willing to say yes to God. See? Don't think, well, I'm not extraordinary. None of them thought they were either. They were just willing to do what God wanted them to do. They were willing, willing not to look at the size. You see, and see what's insignificant in the eyes of the world is significant in the eyes of God. And so Jesus is telling his disciples, those who have chosen to deny themselves, right? What's a disciple? One who denies themselves, picks up his cross daily, and follows him. If you're doing that, you're a disciple. Uh, you're, if you're not doing it well, you're like every other disciple. They didn't do it well either. But you're heading in that direction. God's using you, wants to use you. And then he turns from that and he says, now what, what do you treasure? What's the thing that you treasure most in your life? What's the thing of greatest value to you? See, and then he gives the illustration. You know, here's a buried treasure, and this man sells everything he has to buy the field because he can't afford the treasure. So he buys the field. Once he owns the field, he owns the treasure that's buried there. But he was after that treasure, or the pearl of great price. See, here's this pearl, and it's not, pearls aren't of much value um, <clears throat> now, but in the first century, they were more valuable than diamonds or rubies or any gemstone, because they didn't have them in Israel. So when they got hold of a pearl, that was, that was an incredible thing. You know, that came from the, Asia, and uh, probably came up through the trade routes from, from Egypt. And so here's this jeweler who says, I want that pearl. That's, that's worth everything to me. And all of us, if we examine ourselves, have that treasure that we're seeking. And Jesus is saying, what, what is challenging the Pharisees? He's challenging the disciples. What is it that you treasure? Now, I want to tell you this. You're God's treasure. You know, God treasures you. God sought you. And he paid everything to get you. He gave his only son for you. You're a treasure to God. You're worthy to God. Think of that about yourself. Think of that about your spouse before you call him a so-and-so. What he's worth to God. What your wife is worth to God. But what your children are worth to God. What your grandchildren are worth to God. They're God's treasure. And he looks on that treasure and he's jealous for it. God is jealous for you and me. He doesn't want anything to stand in the way of his love for us. Or our love, and especially our love for him. 
And he's really underlying, asked the question, as I treasure you, uh, do you treasure me? See, that's a love question, isn't it? You know, if your husband or your wife turns to you and says, I treasure you, and you respond, that's nice, I treasure a new widescreen television, that relationship ain't going anywhere. Well, it is going somewhere, but it's not the direction you want it to go. You see? But that's really, really the point. That's why I love, we used to have a wedding vows to cherish, not just to love, but to cherish. Till death do us part. To cherish our wife, our husband, as the treasure that we would give everything for. Or to lay down our lives for our children because they would be worth saving. That we actually begin to live for another person and not, not for ourselves because they're a treasure of God. And Jesus is saying, what do you treasure? And he says there's these treasures that are old. They're treasures that have been around. See? And what he's particularly referring to is the Old Covenant. There's a treasure. Do you know the Ten Commandments are a treasure? They prevent lawlessness. They tell us what the boundaries are for a blessed life. There's the treasures of the prophets. And all these treasures of, of the Old Covenant, they point to Jesus. One of the things I watched, again, it's dangerous for me to be alone at home. And, uh, and especially if I enter into my mind. Um, but there was a show on a document called The Laws of Judaism. It's really, if you see it, it's really a good show. And they followed an orthodox community. It's like five or six episodes in England. And they went through all the laws of orthodox Judaism. Now, I'm not going to be, I'm a Christian, you know. And uh, so I'm not going to do all of those. But it, I began to admire it. There was something appealing about it that it gave order to life. And everything was connected to God. Well, it wasn't like we were washing our hands because we wanted to wash our hands. We were washing our hands to remind ourselves of God. We were eating kosher food because we reminded ourselves of God. There were prayers for everything that you did. Every holiday, everything. It was immersed in, in these old ancient treasures. <clears throat> and a sense of why do we do them? Because our fathers did it. And their fathers did it. And it gave us, <clears throat> and it gave us <clears throat> those boundaries. They call them in Christianity, they call them the ancient boundaries. And you don't go beyond those boundaries because it's dangerous out there. But if you stay in here, if you stay in these these treasures. And the church has those treasures. And unfortunately, in this day of rapid change, everything's got to be new and new is better. We've thrown out the treasures to become relevant. You know, there's even churches now out talking that they're never going to get back together. They're just going to do virtual church forever and ever. They figured out the, low, the overhead is really low. <laughs> you don't need a building to take care of you. You know, and they've taught their people uh, over and over that the church isn't a building. Well, that's true. But the church is not an individual either. The word church, ecclesia, means to assemble. 
I mean, if you want to assemble, you have to have a place to do it unless you all show up at the pastor's living room, you know? But in the church are things that are old and ancient that remind us of Jesus. And it's about Jesus. And it connects us to the past, but sometimes we're so quick to want to have new technology. We sang that hymn, How Great Thou Art. You know, so some of the other hymns that you know, we've thrown away, they're just no use, you know, Amazing Grace, song written by a former slave owner. Almighty Fortress is Our God, written by Martin Luther, as he attacked the evil one. That we need to sing, we need to hold on to, these are ancient things. Making the sign of the cross is an ancient thing. It wasn't invented in 1920. It goes back to the first century. Christians made the sign of the cross to remind them that they were baptized and that they were following the cross. These ancient liturgies, like what do they do? They give boundaries. And we need to keep them just like we need to keep traditions in our own family. You know? And, and when holidays, and we... We need to teach our children those things because it'll, it'll get them rooted. Otherwise, we end up with what's happening today in the streets of Portland. That a group of people have hijacked it. I think one of the greatest opportunities that had come along in my lifetime, that there was a day after the unfortunate, horrible death that I can't, I can't watch of a young man with, with a police officer with his knee on the guy's neck as he's crying out, I can't breathe. For one moment, Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Black, White, Asian, was outraged, outraged. And it got hijacked. It got hijacked. And now it's, they don't even know what it's about, but they're, they're tearing down statues of people who we're heroes of the civil rights movement. See, you know, I have issues with some of the Confederate statues. I think, I just think they ought to relabel them. You know, they say, here's General so-and-so, and he was responsible for leading an army that wanted to overthrow the United States and support slavery. I think we need to know that history. I say that's important. And maybe replace some of them with, with statues of real American heroes. But that's a political issue. That's, just, that's a matter of question. You don't go down and tear things or just destroy history because you're whatever. It doesn't do anything, but they're not connected. These are the kids who had the participation award. You know what I mean? That's a generation where there are no winners, no losers. You don't have to, so you don't have to study history. You don't have, and, and you talk to them about history. They're not connected. And it's more than a social protest. It's more than, they don't even remember the history of, there's people who don't remember the history. People say, oh man, all the rioting in the streets. Well, you weren't alive in 1968. They're sending in federal troops. They've done it 21 times in the history of the United States. I remember federal troops driving down Manhattan with tanks to stop rioting. But there's no connectedness, and so there's this Aimless, meaningless, no point to it, and it lost a moment and all the noise when we could have made incredible steps 
towards racial justice. It could have moved, and now it's swallowed up in political crap, to be honest. We need a sense of history. In a church, we need a connectedness, or our worship will become, one of the things I've done virtually is watch different churches every Sunday. 80% of them are rock concerts. No different than a rock concert. Light shows, smoke shows. And the sermons are all motivational talks. How you can be a better whatever you are. Because people don't know about Jesus. Or they've made up a Jesus in their own image. See, we need Jesus that there's these old treasures. And yes, there's the new treasures. There's the thing that are new. I've told all the clergy that I've mentored and discipled, if I get to the point where I'm the old fart that doesn't want things to change, just shoot me, you know? Because I fought those people in the charismatic movement. You know, when the spirit first said, I was up against all that, they didn't want this and they didn't want that, and you know, uh, you know, because the spirit was moving and it was a good thing. And it's still a good thing. I'm praying every day that we don't come out of this just with survival, that we come out in revival. You know, that there's a, there's a move of God. But I pray for a move of God that has the riverbanks for that river to flow. That it doesn't throw out the old treasures. And it doesn't become so secular that it's indistinguishable from the world. That we're different. We're a different people, how we look and how we behave. And ultimately, the new treasure is Jesus. Jesus is the new treasure. That we're, that, see, that new relationship that says that, that our relationship is not based, with God is not based on our worthiness, but his worthiness. Our relationship with our God is not based on our holiness, but his holiness. That our relationship with God is not based on our goodness, but on his goodness. Our getting into heaven is not based on what we do, it's what he did. And we embrace that. He's the greatest new treasure that there is. Is he the treasure that we're seeking with all our heart? Is he the treasure in your life, in my life? That's something I have to ask myself every day. What am I seeking today? Am I seeking the treasure I'm seeking? Is it of greatest worth? Am I willing to sell everything to seek that treasure? Let's bow our heads. Thank you. If you're here today, I'm telling you the greatest treasure that the world has is Jesus. 40 plus years ago, 1978, I knew about Jesus, but I didn't know him. And I asked, I was seeking after God, and I realized that what is, who that was was Jesus. And I asked him to come into my heart and to forgive my sins, and he did. And I've spent my entire life trying I'm like all of you, it hasn't, you know, I don't bat a hundred or bowl 300 in the spiritual realm, you know. 
but even in the little effort that I've put in and failed, in my weakness, he became strong. And all things work to good. You know? And he's the treasure I seek now and for all eternity. If you want to come to that moment, begin that journey this morning, I'm going to say a prayer with you. If you're watching on, online, and Facebook, whatever medium you're on, uh, you can pray along with me. If you pray the prayer here, please see one of the clergy afterwards and let them know that, <coughs> that you prayed. If you're out online, there's a prayer room, I believe, on the site. And just click in there and there'll be somebody there and they'll talk to you and give you some information and help you begin, begin that journey. So as your head is bowed and your eye is closed, you know, I accepted the Lord watching television. So I'm open to virtual conversion. And uh, just, just bow your head and pray after me, Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I open the door of my heart and I ask you to come in, take control of my life and make me the person that you want me to be. Amen. Amen. God bless you. And uh, we're going to take up the offering. And as I understand, there's uh, baskets um, <clears throat> uh, around that you can put, put your offering in. And we're worshiping God. Offerings are, are worshiping God. Uh, we're bringing an offering. It's an offering of thanksgiving and praise. And uh, you can offer an offering of, I'm going to offer an offering of thanksgiving that I don't have to preach this sermon again. I've done it three times. <laughs> And uh, I've almost convinced myself that it's true. You know? <laughs> um, but to take up on the offering. In the meantime, stand up. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Let us greet one another with a sign six feet apart of God's peace. <laughs>